0: Praise the Lord. I'd like you to take out your Bibles if you would. And turn with me to 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16. Praise God. 1 Samuel 16. And I want to preach a message entitled The Heart of David. The heart of David. Praise God. Hallelujah. The heart of David. And I, I believe with all my heart today that not only is this message for everybody in the building, but also uh, for or at least the grown-ups, but also for any young person or young people that are sitting here today, uh, I believe this, this is for you. Uh, mostly, and so uh, I want to just share a few verses of scripture and we 're going to read them in a moment uh, but i don 't know how many of you um, just curious how many of you play have played like a pickup game of basketball all right you', you've, you know you 're in the basketball court uh, and you know i don 't know how you choose up sides these days it 's been a long time since i 've played basketball. And Lord, after moving a fridge Friday night, I won't be playing anything for a long time. Checkers, basically. But, you know, I I, I remember as a kid, the way we, we chose, we chose captains. And then those captains picked the players. And the last thing you wanted to be was picked last, right? Nobody wanted to pick last. I mean, it said something... Unfortunately, if you were picked last, it it basically said you were not the best player. I'm not going to ask if any of you have ever been picked last. But that was the thing that, I, I mean, I didn't mind being picked second. I didn't mind being picked third, fourth, depending on what it was that we were playing. I didn't mind, but I did not want to be picked last. I didn't like being picked last. I just like being picked, and at the very least, if it was next to the last, you kind of got the feeling like, okay, I'm, I'm next to the last choice here, but, you know, you, we're choosing up sides for kickball, and we'd play kickball, and, you know, you'd have the captains, and, and sure enough, you know, you get the slowest, you get the ones who can't really kick, or, you know, something like that at the end, and they were picked last, and I often wonder, are they okay today? <laughs> from being picked last. They're probably the ones who are out there, you know, coding on the computer, making tons of money. You know, they they got math. They got it down right. You know, it was all the kids you made fun of in school. They're the ones. They're the ones ruling. But being picked last was no fun. I didn't enjoy it. Well, David was one of those guys who was not even picked last... David was forgotten about. Turn with me to, if you're there, 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16. But I got to tell you that when David was picked, uh, he was picked right. And he was the man for the job. In fact, this was going to be a team of one. God had a plan. And God wanted his plan to include David. Now, nobody knew this at this point except for Samuel, and Samuel didn't even know who. Let's start reading at verse 1, and we'll read down a little bit. The Bible says this. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem, I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So Samuel now gets a word from the Lord. Fill up that horn. There was a horn that they would, literally a, a horn that they had hollowed out and would pour anointing oil in, like what we read about in the Old Testament. And whoever was going to be king, they would anoint them as king. It was a, a sign that God had designed for this person to, Uh, to to be the ruler and and had a plan for their lives. So God tells Samuel, go go and anoint one of the sons of Jesse. Now Jesse happened to have eight sons. He had almost a baseball team. He he had eight sons, and so now Samuel is on his way. The Bible says this in verse 2. It says, but Samuel said, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel said, or did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before me. Why? Here's why. God says to him, the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height. So he looked good, he was tall, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things the man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks where? At the heart. You look all around you these days and you see on television... Magazines, you see it in schools, you see it everywhere, billboards all over the place. You see that appearance is everything. In fact, we, I, I, I shudder to think that in this day and age, the pressures that are faced or that young girls especially are faced with that they are not worried about what's on the inside, but instead they are concerned only with the outer appearance. I'm here to let you know whether you're a young lady or whether you're a young man, God is concerned not with the outer appearance. He is concerned with what's on the inside of you. Now, God had a plan to pick one of the sons of Jesse. Now, there's a very important lesson to learn here, and it is this. All of his sons come marching out. In fact, let me just read a little bit further down. The Bible says this starting at verse 8. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Think about this. God told him, go anoint one of Jesse's sons. Jesse marches seven sons out in front of Samuel. And Samuel goes down the line, each one of these sons, not the guy. Samuel says, wait a minute. Do I have all of them? Oh, yeah. Forgot. David. But he's out tending sheep. I need him out in the field. He's out there tending sheep. Now, there is a theory about why David was ignored. Now, I want you to listen to this. This comes from the Jewish writings. It comes from the Talmud, which are important commentaries and conversations uh, back and forth between ancient rabbis. Back and forth, all these writings. And some of these writings indicate that one of the reasons why David was left out was because his brothers thought that David was an illegitimate child. That David's mother, their mother, had cheated on Jesse because there was this whole backstory. I can't get into this backstory of why it took place, but they were under an assumption that David wasn't even really part of the family. Now think about this. If that was the case, they treated David so bad all through his life, they probably picked on him. In fact, the Talmud records that they believe that David sat at a table by himself when it came dinner time. All the sons sat around except for David. Now if this is true... You can imagine how David would feel growing up. People like that, they check into places to get their brain checked out after a while. Because you know what? They can't take being picked on. They can't take the rejection. They can't take the idea that somebody is against them. But I'm here to let you know, young people, older people alike, no matter where you have come from, no matter what pain you have experienced in life, No matter what your friends have told you, I'm here to let you know that God still had a plan. And his plan didn't involve the other seven brothers. It involved this one kid sitting out with the sheep on the hillside. And his plan was to anoint him as king. Now, let's just read down a little bit further. (coughs) The Bible says this. So he asked Jesse, verse Verse uh, 11, so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We're not going to sit down until he arrives. He said, go get him. Why, why have you only given me seven sons? You've got eight. Go get me the eighth guy. The Bible says, so he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy, that was warrior-like, kind of strong, with a fine appearance and handsome features, but that had nothing to do with why God chose him. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. Now look at verse 13. This is so cool. Because if that story in the Talmud is, is at least remotely close to being true, this is powerful. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, In the presence of his brothers. And from that day on the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power... Samuel then went to Ramah. Think about this for a minute. You've been picked on. You've been picked on. But now all of a sudden, God begins to elevate you. God begins to pick you up. And now here's David standing in the middle of his brothers, brothers who more than likely don't even really like him. In fact, we read in chapter 17, when David went out to see Goliath, went out to see his brothers and and met up with Goliath, that the oldest brother, Eliab, starts just jumping on him verbally and attacking David. So we know that Eliab didn't like him. We know the brothers probably didn't like him. But now here's David standing right in the middle. And all of a sudden, Samuel takes that horn. God speaks to him and says, this is the one that I want. This is the guy I'm choosing. This is the one. They wouldn't have picked him. There are people around you who wouldn't pick you. There are people around you who would say, look, if they're the last one, I don't even want them on my team. Forget about it. They can't play. But when it comes down to it, God says you can play. You're the one that I want. I'm going to anoint you to do something great and something powerful for the kingdom of God. Listen, young people, serving Jesus isn't just for old people. Okay, I know I joke about being old, but I'm really not that old, by the way. I just can't move a fridge. You know, it's hard. It's hard for young people and older people alike. But, you know, it's not just for older people. It's not just for them. You say, well, I don't have the boldness. The Holy Spirit can come upon you. The Bible says the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that moment on from the moment where david stood there and was anointed as king david didn't say wait a minute i'm not your guy you know there are other guys in the bible who did that jeremiah god called jeremiah when he was a young man probably maybe somewhere in his late teens maybe early 20s and he said listen i want you to go and i want you to be a prophet you know what jeremiah said i can't do that i can't lord why because i'm too young you know what god told him jeremiah be quiet you're not too young. Yeah, I could use you as you are. I, in fact, I want to use you now. Listen, God, God's not going to wait. God doesn't have to wait. You don't have to wait to be used by God. Wherever you are in your schools, listen, there are young people who are crying out for, for somebody to show them reality. When my wife told me on Tuesday night when they went out on the street and two young ladies stood there and listened to what she and Lynette had to say. As they talked to them about the Lord, I began to think to myself, you know what, people are hungry from the very youngest to the very oldest. They are hungry for the reality of the kingdom of God. They are hungry for God, and they need to have young people around them who have a heart like David. So let's talk about this heart for a minute. What did it look like? You see, we read the verse earlier. Let's go back up to verse 7 where God told, tells Samuel, he says to him, listen, you've got you to hear this, you got to know this. The Bible says, the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. I'm so glad of that. You know, man, man has all these rules about how you're supposed to look, how you're supposed to act, how you're supposed to be. The Bible says this, the Lord does not look at all the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So what was it about David's heart that caused God to say, yep, this is the guy I want? What was it about David? In fact, the Bible talks about David in such, such terms. It says, and it calls him a man after God's own heart. A man after God's own heart. That's intense. That's intense. That's powerful. What was it about him? First of all, it was this David was a worshiper. David was a worshiper, and worship begins, first of all, with a relationship with God. You know that God wants you to have a relationship with Him? Listen, it's not about the rules. It's not about what you can and can't do. I wasted so much time as a teenager getting hung up on the fact that I thought, well, if I give my life to Jesus, I can't do this and I can't do that and I can't do this and I can't do this. And all the things I was saying I can't do, later in life I realized that's the stuff that destroys you. I was too young and too dumb to to realize that at the moment. My parents were standing there the whole time telling me, listen, that's not good. That's not something you're going to regret it. And sure enough, they were right. You, we've got to, we've got to, you can look at your friends around you and they are, they're doing drugs and they're running with gangs and they're doing all of these kinds of things. And listen, every one of them, they're absolutely miserable. There isn't any one of them who is out there and can say that they are really deep down kind of happy. They got foul mouths that make people, you know, kind of not want to be around them. We think that's cool. No, learn a vocabulary. Look look, as a young person, God doesn't want you to talk that way. He wants you to begin to point to him and show others, listen, I don't have to talk that way to be cool. I don't have to act like that. I can worship the Lord. I can serve him and give him my best. Listen, when David was out there tending sheep, he's out on the the hillside. I believe it was probably maybe at one of those moments where he's out there, maybe his brothers had just done something so mean to him because still they thought, and this was not true because he was not an illegitimate, legitimate child but they they thought that maybe maybe just maybe he was and so they're picking on him picking on him but david goes out to tend the sheep he's out there on the hillside he's with the sheep and he's worshiping the lord he pulls out his harp he's got his musical instrument he begins to pen the words to the lord is my shepherd I shall not want. All of a sudden, he begins to worship the Lord. He finds in God that there in the midst of rejection, in the midst of all kinds of things, he can still worship the Lord. And the Lord is right there every moment of every day. Even when David was older, his own son turned against him. Now, as a young person, it's tough to deal with brothers and sisters who annoy you and they get under your skin and maybe, you know, they get into a fight with you or friends who reject you after a while because of whatever. But I, when I became a father, it, it just it turned my heart upside down. And I know how it feels to be a father, but I have no idea what David went through when his own son Absalom turned against him. But you know what? Even when Absalom, his son, was turning against David and was turning against his father, you know what David did? David still worshiped. He went to the Lord. He ran to the Lord. Listen, young people, older people, what we need to learn to do is we need to learn to run to the Lord and go to him no matter what we're going through, no matter what, look, when your heart is broken, take it to the Lord. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Don't dial up your friend and just weep on the phone. You begin to dial up Jesus and you weep to him. And I, I will let you know that he will be there for you. He'll know exactly how to minister to your heart and help you be a worshiper. David was a worshiper. A heart after God is the kind of person who knows how to worship the Lord and give Him their best. Be a worshiper. These services that we've been having, we've been having great meetings. We've been having wonderful services, times of worship. Look, Raising your hands, praising the Lord, singing the songs. It doesn't just have to be for the older people. It can be for the young people alike as well as we could call on the name of the Lord together. I got to tell you, listen, I can envision young people with their hands raised in this place, worshiping the Lord. You say, that's crazy. My friends won't like me. Look, your friends didn't die for you. Who cares what they think? Let's worship the Lord. Let's care more about what God thinks. The disciples, when they were told, don't you dare preach in the name of Jesus anymore, they said, you know what? We got to please God, not man. We've got to please him. So David was a worshiper. He worshiped the Lord. Two-thirds, at least two-thirds of the Psalms were written by David. The Psalms largely are are an emotional expression of worship and praise to the Lord. At times they are, Lord, where are you? Their prayers. Lord, I, I, you know, right now I need you and I can't feel you. I can't sense you. I don't know that you're there. But after a while they come around. He comes around and he says, but Lord, I'm still going to trust in you. I know that you're there. I know that you're going to help me. I mean, the, all of these things that we read in the Psalms, we think that's for, you know, ancient times. No, it's not. It's it's showing us we can run to the Lord for help. And then it can be said of us later on that that was a young man, that was a young woman who had a heart after God. What else was it about David? Well, it was this. He was a warrior. He was a fighter. He was a guy who loved God so much that he couldn't stand it when it seemed like the name of God was being dragged through the mud. Turn over to 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17, those of you who know your Bibles, you know this is where David fights Goliath. And we're going to see a little bit of this fighting spirit. Now, the Bible says about David that he, his, his, his brothers went off to war. They went out at, at the very least the, the older three, had gone, but it seems like maybe all seven were out there and they were fighting for Saul. And they went out against the Philistines. The Philistines came up against them and they're out in these, this area. One was on one hillside, the Israelites, and the Philistines were on the other hillside. and There was this valley in the middle, a brook that runs through it. So Jesse wakes up one day and says, listen, you got to take some bread to your brother's Sure, they're getting hungry. The army doesn't provide for them. Saul doesn't provide. we got to send food to them. Take this out to your brothers. He says, at the same time, I want you to take some cheese out to their, their lieutenant, their, whoever he was, their commander. Take something for him as well. Give that as a gift. And What does David do? David doesn't say, oh, dad, I don't feel like it today. Come on, I don't want to do that. No. He obeyed. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. That's a freebie. That wasn't part of the message. But the Bible says this in verse 20, early in the morning, David left the flock, verse 20 of chapter 17, with a shepherd loaded up, set out as Jesse had directed. He reached camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Now imagine this. You've got two armies facing each other on hillsides. Every day they wake up, they put on their armor, they go out and they face each other and they go, woo! And that's all they do. They're, you know, they're soldiers, they're supposed to be fighting, right? Every day they go out, woo! The Bible says they were shouting the war cry, woo! We're number one. We're number one. We're number one. You know, they're going out there. Yeah, we're the Israelites. We're big and we're bad. We're going to beat you today. The Philistines come along. We're the Philistines. We don't like you. We're going to, you know, put your face in the dust. You're ugly. Your mother dresses you funny. You know, they're shouting insults to each other, but they're not doing anything. Why? Because. The Philistines have a secret weapon, and he's about nine feet, six inches tall. And as soon as they come out and they go, woo, it wakes up Goliath. Goliath pulls out of his ginormous tent, and he walks out and lumbers out, boom, boom. Here comes Goliath. And all of a sudden, it goes from woo to woo. No more war cries now no, no, no. All of a sudden, Goliath comes out and says, if you want us, you got to go through me. I'll fight any one of you. And any one of you who beats me, we will be your servants, will be your slaves. But if I win, you will be our slaves. And they all looked at Goliath And as tall as it seems as David's oldest brother was, because the Bible says don't look at his height, so probably Eliab was was tall enough, there wasn't anybody as tall as Goliath. There wasn't anybody as big as this giant. And everybody just stood there, and the Bible lets us know, they all just said, forget about it. Went back into their tents, and then the next day they woke up, woo! And here comes Goliath. The whole thing repeats. It's ridiculous. But now all of a sudden, David comes into the camp. The, the, you know, little brother, baby brother, nobody likes. His brothers don't like him. Comes into the camp, looks out at Goliath, right when Goliath is in the midst of his speech. And looks around at everybody and says, why is everybody afraid of this dude? Why are you all running away from him? Look at him. And everybody's looking at him and saying, yeah, look at him. Did you not see how big he is? What's the matter with you? David, you need glasses. No, the Bible doesn't say that. But you know, you, you kind of get the sense here that David thinks a little bit different than everybody else. He's got the heart of a true warrior, a heart of a warrior that's been communicating with his God. And he knows how big his God really is. And his God is bigger than nine feet, six inches tall. A whole lot Bigger. He says, Wait a minute, guys. Why are you all sitting here listening to him? Hey, look, he is defying the God of Israel because he's making fun of the armies of the God of Israel. He says, I'll go fight him. Now, the one chance that his oldest brother gets to speak, verse 28, in all of the Bible, his oldest brother, Eliab, He is supposed to be the elder brother, and for sure now he's really mad at David. He really doesn't like David, because in that day and age, and even down through the centuries of time, even today, the eldest of the family tends to be favored. They are looked at as to be sort of a a leader, a person of authority in the family. That's just how cultures have, have grabbed onto that, but that was more so then he was looked past so that his younger brother could be anointed king. You imagine how it made this older brother feel. And now here's the oldest, the one chance he gets to say something in the Bible, and here's what he says. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? Well, A, he brought food to you, fella, you know. Thank you very much, big brother. Go hungry then. And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? See the little dig on David being the shepherd? Who did you leave those few sheep? I know how conceited you are. Now, there's an underlying problem here, an underlying issue. David was anything but conceited. Here, Eliab is. He's saying, I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You've come down here only to watch the battle. He's accusing brother his brother David of only coming down there. I don't know what he did with the loaves of bread that he brought him, but he, he was accusing him of coming down there just to watch people fight. The one chance the oldest brother gets to speak, and this is all he can muster up to say. Imagine that. And David... <laughs> course, responding like the little brother that he was. Now, what have I done? Verse 29 said, David, can't I even speak? How How many of you have ever said any of those things? It seems as though nothing has changed, has it? You know, maybe you live in one of those families where everybody's, you know, the decimal level just goes up and up and up. And you're the one who never can get a word in edgewise. Now, what have I done? Can't I even talk? And here's David saying the same thing. And you know what? He does what he should do. He turned away to someone else he turned away because there was something beating within him there was something within him he had communicated with god he had been communing with the lord and he recognized that god was bigger and god could take care of this man he had a heart of a warrior not that was born that wasn't born in in Saul's army camps that wasn't born in in years of fighting and years of training it wasn't born there he had a heart of a warrior that was born in the heavenlies it was born in heaven it was brought it was It was put into him by his communion with a God who was able, a God who was always on his side, a God who was always there. Listen, you've got to have the heart of a warrior. You're not going to, not for physical fights. No, no, no. But for spiritual battles, there are going to be things that will come at you. Learn how to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm going to fight through this. I'm not going to let the enemy win in my life. He goes out, the Bible says, verse thirty. Uh jump down to verse 45. Let's see this. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, listen to this. Oh, I got to read earlier. Come on, let's go back up into verse 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you. In the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied, this day the Lord will will hand you over to me and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Here's a little guy coming out against big giant Goliath. I'm going to beat you. You want to talk trash talking. I mean, there are those who can trash talk and they can get away with it because they're bigger, right? But there are those who, they seem small. And they shouldn't be trash talking now. David's coming out there. And he said, I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to strike you down, Goliath. Goliath, I'm going to strike you down. You're mine, brother. And the Bible says about him that David went out there. Now, do you, you don't see, and we don't read anywhere here where Saul went out with him where Saul's son, Jonathan, who later became David's closest and best friend, went out with him. We don't read about any of David's brothers saying, all right, you know what? We better take care of this kid once and for all. Let's get out there with him. Nobody went out there with him. He went alone. And from time to time, young people in a crowd, you're going to have to stand alone. If you want to serve the Lord you might at some point or another have to deal with the fact that everybody around you is going to be doing one thing and you're going to stand for what's right and do another that you'll stand for the truth, that you'll stand for Jesus, that you'll stand for doing the right thing, no matter what it is. Your friends might tell you, no, 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 don't do that. You'll get in trouble. No, don't tell the truth. Just lie a little bit, and you know what? You'll be fine. No, no, no. You stand for what's right, and you tell the truth. You live the truth because you're serving the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But notice what he does. David doesn't back down. He doesn't sit there and say, all right, let me see. Maybe if I get, you know, 50 yards from this guy, I know I can outrun him. And I'll do the best I can with my sling. The Bible says he ran toward Goliath. He wasn't afraid. He didn't back down when Goliath came against him because he had the heart of a warrior. Now, the last thing that David had was this. He had the heart of a winner. Winner. What is that? Isn't it really the same as a warrior, somebody who always wins battles? No, David didn't always win battles. In fact, David lost some of the most important battles of his life. I'm not talking about on the battlefield. He was a warrior that way. All through the time where he became king, he always fought battles. It was one of the reasons why God said, You're not the guy to build the temple that I want to have built. It's going to be your son Solomon. He is going to be a king of peace you've been a warrior, a man of bloodshed. That wasn't, that wasn't why he was a winner. wasn't why. He was a winner because he knew that when he failed, he could get back up. And it's exactly what he did. Now, I know that nobody here likes to lose, but there were some important battles in David's life that he lost. But you know what? What made him a winner was the fact that he was able to go to God in prayer each and every time. And he was able to come back to the place where he was supposed to be with the Lord. Even when he made terrible, terrible mistakes in judgment, terrible mistakes in giving into sin, David knew how to get back to the Lord. Turn over to Psalm 51. Go with me to Psalm. Turn over to the Psalms. And go to Psalm 51. This psalm was written as a prayer of repentance after David committed adultery and murder. Imagine that. Now, we would have thrown David in jail. We have said, David, rot there the rest of your life for what you did. That's how man operates. But David was a winner not because he failed, but because he went back to the Lord for help. And this is so important. No matter what point we are in our lives, when we fail, we can't, we can't lay there in the dust and say, I'm never going to amount to anything. It's never going to happen. And look how badly I failed. Surely God is mad at me now, and he's never going to do anything with me. No, 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 no. Don't believe those lies of the enemy. That is the enemy talking. That's not God talking. God still had a plan for David. He still had a plan. Yes, David messed up royally. But listen to what David David says, he says this, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. The things that I've done wrong, Lord, blot it out. Get rid of it. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David had messed up so bad, he had violated the law of Moses. He had gone against it. He had, he had knowingly committed adultery, knowingly then committed murder to cover up an unwanted pregnancy. And it was out of all of that that when David was confronted with his sin, David didn't defend himself. He didn't say I had a right to do what I did because I'm king. Instead, he humbled himself before God. He wept before the Lord. And all of Psalm 51 is David's prayer of repentance saying, Lord, you've got to come and you've got to wipe away my sin. You know why he did this? Because he cared more about what God thought of him than about what all of Israel thought about him. He cared more about what what the Lord thought of him than what any of his friends thought about him. And listen, brothers and sisters, we, when we have a heart after God, we will care more about what God thinks than what our friends think. We've got to care about what he does, what he says, what his word says, and how he is going to relate to us. And the way to do that is through humility. It's not through pride. It's not through lifting yourself up and saying I'm going to be better than, and I'm just going to come off like I'm tough and no big deal and who cares if I gave in to sin and and all of that. No, God cares today. Your friends might not care. They might welcome you in when you do. But let me tell you something. In the end, it's God that we've got to be uh, concerned with. It's god that we answer to in the end and david was a winner not only because he learned how to worship he learned how to fight the way god wanted him to fight through his difficulties and problems he learned how to pray he learned how to call on the lord he was a winner because he desired god more than anything else in his life more than anything else in his life he wanted to please the lord and there are times, listen, there are times where we give in to the flesh, give in to sin. We give in to things that we shouldn't give in to. And we think at that moment that somehow maybe there's something wrong with us. Maybe, maybe we're not as good on the inside as what God, you know, God thought we were. It's not about being good. It's about giving our all to the Lord. It's about saying, Lord, I'm yours. I'm going to make mistakes. David made mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. Somewhere along the way, you're going to give in. And the enemy is going to come along and say, you know what? You shouldn't have done that. God's done with you. God isn't done with any of you. The Bible says there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. You run back to the altar. You run back to the place of prayer. And you say, Lord, have mercy on me. And that's exactly what he'll do. Can we stand to our feet this morning?